Well, hello, it's Ken Phelps, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. What's up, Royals fans? What's up, baseball fans? So glad you have found us right here on Clubhouse Conversation. This is the place where we catch up with all your favorite current and former Royals players. And we do it year-round. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Clubhouse Conversation, also that little cool podcast app on iPhones. You can do it that way, have all of our episodes downloaded right into uh, your podcast app without doing anything. You can always find us here on demand on the website, clubhouseconversation.com. We have a Facebook page, and we are on Twitter, at Royals Clubhouse as well. So look forward to hopefully having you join us for many more of these conversations year-round. And today, it's Ken Phelps who joins us on this mid-November day of 2015. Ken Phelps, drafted by the Royals in the 15th round of the 1976 draft out of Arizona State, where he helped lead the Sun Devils to a couple of CWS appearances, and then made it up to KC during the 1980 and 1981 seasons. A power-hitting left-handed first base in DH who could draw a walk. Bill James loved this guy. We'll talk about Bill James actually during this interview and kind of how Phelps was before his time with being an OPS guy, a guy that got on base a lot, a high guy that wouldn't necessarily hit for a, you know, a big average, but draw you a walk and hit plenty of home runs as well. So a guy who played for not only the Royals, but also the Expos, Mariners, Yankees, Athletics, and Indians, 123 home runs at the Major League level for Ken Phelps, and he slashed 854 overall for his OPS. To this day, the fastest AL player to ever reach 100 home runs as well. It took him just 1,322 at-bats. That's lots of numbers, so so let's get to the fun part, and that's the stories as we are joined by Ken from his home in Arizona right now on Clubhouse Conversation. First of all, Ken, thanks so much for your time. And second of all, how's everything going with you? Uh, things are well. Things are well. Uh, just enjoying the uh, the weather here out in the desert. It's the uh, time of the year you want to be here. Yeah, absolutely. This and this through about the end of March, right? Yeah, it's uh, yeah after after spring training, uh, the weather uh, heats up pretty good. And uh, yeah, try to uh, find places to cool off. There you go. Well, well, you know what's keeping you busy? Update us on you know what you're doing in 2015. Well, uh, I've been working here locally uh, with a uh, power company, uh, Arizona Public Service. I've been doing uh, some community outreach and community affairs work. I'm a consultant and uh, been there for almost 18 years, believe it or not, and. Uh, Along uh, along with that, I've also done some broadcasting with the uh, Diamondbacks. I worked six years for them and uh, doing radio and uh, pre and post game television. And uh, I've done some Pac-12 uh, television and uh, I've done some radio fill in for the uh, Diamondbacks and Mariners on occasion. So I stay pretty busy. That's great. Yeah, you'll have to give me a critique on my skills at the end of this interview then. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm not uh, I'm not a pro. That's for sure. I uh, just I'm, I'm a fan. I enjoy watching baseball. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I also wanted to give you props and uh, ask you about a couple of things that you've been uh, involved with to help children. The ABCs of baseball, and then uh, life and power players. So, kind of talk about those programs and what they are. Well, you know, those are what I do at APS, the power company I work at, and. Uh, We've been real, real involved in the community along with the Diamondbacks. We've built over 30 uh, baseball fields, little league fields primarily, throughout uh, our service territory, and that's all over the Southwest. And what I've been able to do is go back into those communities, and uh, anytime we uh, we can utilize one of the fields we've built, I, I conduct free baseball clinics for the youth in those communities. And uh, I take uh, ex-Major League Baseball players with me. Uh, we have a pretty good group to pull from in the uh, Arizona area. So uh, I've been able to do that for uh, over 17 years. And some of those names of these uh, that you mentioned, the ABCs, is what was the original uh, uh, name we gave it. And uh, it's changed 
over time uh, to uh, now we call it uh, uh, APS All-Stars. And basically, okay. that's it. It was a few other things before, but uh, as time uh, moved on, we've just kind of changed the name. The, the concept and what we do is still the same. That's great. You know, it's all about the kids. Um, so, you know, and how special was it for you in 2015 and, of course, last year? You know, the team that drafted you, the Royals, you know, was it pretty fun for you to follow them during their postseason runs in the World Series? Well, I definitely was pulling for them. There's no doubt about that. I'm a, I'm a big Royals fan. I'm also a believe, I believe in history. I really think that this game, uh, a lot of things come back around. And the Royals, said when I played for them, they were, you know, a fabulous organization and they were winning all the time and, uh, you know they uh, they uh, you know had some took their lumps for a while, but they they've bounced back, and it's great to see that happen again. Absolutely. Well, we're going to come back and and talk lots about the Royals, but let's go even further back in time and begin with your times at Ingram High School in Seattle. So you'd be drafted in the eighth round by the Braves. But before we talk about that, then, so let's talk about your childhood. So you know what was it like, and, and how much did your life you know revolve around baseball growing up? Well, you know, back in those days, you played uh, whatever sport was in season. I, I gravitated towards baseball because I was best uh, I was best suited to play baseball. I played high school football and uh, played uh, basketball sparingly. I wasn't uh, very gifted at, uh, with my leaping ability, that's for sure. But <laughs> we didn't, you know, we didn't put all our eggs in one basket like kids do today. Uh, you know, you played whatever sport was in season, so. Uh, I think uh, that made sports and um, the high school experience a lot more fun. Uh, I went to Ingram High School. There was only one or two other guys that ever played in the major leagues out of Ingram High School. One of those was uh, Bob Reynolds, Bullet Bob Reynolds. He pitched for the Orioles. And um, there was another one, I can't, his name escapes me, but uh, I was the third. So um, that was where I grew up. Uh, I grew up there in Seattle, and then um, after high school, drafted in the eighth round by the Atlanta Braves and chose not to sign. I uh, had a full scholarship to go play baseball at uh, Washington State University, which I did for my freshman year. And uh, so I, I elected not to sign. I went to Washington State University for uh, my freshman year. And then uh, I decided that I didn't really want to stay there and uh gave up a full scholarship and i traveled south to arizona yeah i wanted to i wanted to go to college at uh, arizona state university and uh, what i did was i went to uh, a junior college for one year mesa community college in mesa arizona and I had an all-american season there drafted a couple of times in the first round by uh, the yankees and also uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, and then I was able to secure a full scholarship to ASU, which was what I really wanted. So uh, ended up going there for the 75 and 76 season, stayed there for two years. Yeah, well, speaking of, uh, so you went to MCC there, you know, Mesa Community College, and like you said, Junior College All-American. So 434 was your average, 17 home runs, 59 RBIs. You mentioned Arizona State. So what was it, you know, about Arizona State that drew you in that made you want to play there so badly? Well, the history, the tradition, there's no doubt about that. It was uh, just a great place to play uh, based on who had been there before me. Guys like Reggie Jackson, Sal Bando, uh, you know, Rick Monday, uh, Larry Gura, former Royal. Mm -hmm. um, there were a lot of guys that played in the major leagues. And, of course, back in those days, the, po the balance of power was really in the, you know, in the West, Arizona State. And USC, Rod Dato had a wonderful program there in, in Southern California, and they were winning a lot of national championships back then. And so I wanted to, uh, I wanted to be a Sun Devil, and uh, you know, I, I did. I became a Sun Devil, played there a couple of years, and then went on and played pro ball. And I've always made my home in Arizona. So while you're at ASU, then, so you played for Jim Brock, you helped lead uh, the Sun Devils to the College World Series, third place finishes in both '75 and '76. So going back to the CWS, you know, going to Omaha those years, what do you remember about playing there at Rosenblatt, and how special were those times? Well, it was a great, uh, it was a great place. Uh, you know, that's where you wanted to be, obviously, if you're a college player. And I was lucky enough after uh, I signed with the Royals to play in Omaha for two and a half years, and. Uh, I uh, 
you know, got to uh, get back to, to Rosenblatt Stadium. And, um, you know, what I remember about the College World Series in 1975, it was an entirely, uh, entirely different scenario than it is today. The format was a lot different. We, uh, we were, uh, had one loss along with two other teams in 1975, Texas and South Carolina. And we had to draw out of a hat for who had the bye. Now, we had beaten Texas. Texas beat South Carolina, and South Carolina beat us. So um, the way it worked out is we we didn't draw the bye. We had to play South Carolina. We lost to South Carolina. And then uh, Texas beat South Carolina. So they ended up national champs in 75. In 76, uh, I remember this like it was yesterday, uh, 1976, we were ranked number one in the nation all year. We won 65 games in 76 and lost 10. And uh, we ended up beating the University of Arizona seven straight times, six in our conference. Went to Omaha, and they matched us up in the first game. We were ranked one and two in the nation all year. And we beat them in the first game in Omaha, and then they went through the loser's bracket and knocked us out in the tournament at the end. <laughs> oh, and we finished third. We'd beaten them seven in a row. So, you know, by in today's, uh, the way the, the College World Series is set up today, the, we would have been able to have a two out of three a couple of different times. So, if you know, it's the same record we had back then, but it wasn't set up that way back then. So that's what I remember about the World Series. Man, heartbreak. Um, well, you know, before we get to the Royals drafting you, one other college question then. So I randomly dug up that you played summer of 75 for the Anchorage Glacier Pilots, and you guys finished third nationally in a tournament in Wichita. So did that do a lot for your, you know, did you feel like that did a lot for your scouting potential for Scott seeing you? And then what do you remember about, about you know, about playing in Wichita during that? Well, you know, those days were, uh, those were great summer teams to play on back then. Now they have the Cape Cod League which really wasn't the best league in the days that I played college baseball. Alaska was the place to go, or Boulder, Colorado. Um, those were the best places to play. In those days, they uh, they got you jobs in the summer, and which was great. And you lived with a host family, so you were able to pocket everything you made. And, uh, you know, in Alaska, in the summertime, it never gets dark. And of course, back in those days uh, when I played up there, they had the uh, the pipeline was in full swing, the Alaska pipeline, and it was wild up there. It was like the old gold rush days, I'm <laughs> sure. And it was uh, n- the city never slept, and people from all over the the country were up there and looking for work and making lots of money, and it was just uh, pretty wild times. But uh, yeah, I played for the Alaska Glacier Pilots in 1975 for Augie Garrido. Oh, no who, way. Uh, now is still, he's still coaching in uh, Texas, of course. And, uh, you know, he uh, he was a lot of fun back in those days. He wasn't much older than I was, really. But um, we had a lot of guys from Oklahoma on that team. Bob Shirley was on that team. And we had another uh, couple guys from OU that were there, Keith Drumright, uh, a uh, handful of others uh, that come to mind, but uh, it was uh, it was a good time. It was definitely uh, the place to play in the summer. And then after the uh, you played the the season up there, just about anybody that wanted to went to Wichita and tried to play. You know, win the national championship. And uh, so I believe Fairbanks and our and, and Anchorage; those were the two teams I think, and maybe Kenai as well. They represented. Alaska in the tournament there in Wichita, and uh, we finished third in that one. And then, uh, no time off, I went right from Wichita back to college at ASU. Yeah, and then so the Royals then take you. So fifteenth round, nineteen seventy six. Now, you know when you think back to your last year in college, did you know KC had a lot of interest? Were you kind of expecting them to take you? And then, what do you remember about the first time you kind of talked to them and knew they had big interest? Well, um, you know, I didn't know where I was going to get drafted or by whom. I, I was drafted four times before I signed. I mentioned in junior college I, I, had, uh, I was drafted in the first round twice. And uh, this is a funny story, and I don't, uh, I'll share it with you. In 1974, when I was drafted out of Mesa Community College, they had two drafts back then. They had the winter draft, and then they had the June draft. 
and the winter draft happened in December, then they, you play your season, and then there's a window before the June draft where you could sign uh, with that team that drafted you in the winter draft. Well, the Yankees drafted me in the first round in the winter. I had a great year, and they offered me uh, $16,000 to sign. And I I said, no, I think I'll pass. I got a full ride to ASU. So um, the next thing you know, I uh, didn't hear from them, them anymore. And uh, I get drafted by the Phillies in the first round, and they offer me twelve thousand dollars. <laughs> and I said, "I just turned down sixteen grand with the with the Yankees." And the Philly scout said, "I'll bet you wished you signed with the Yankees." And that was the end of that story. I didn't get another call from the Phillies, so I, uh, that made my decision easy. I went to ASU. Uh, unfortunately, after the '75 season. I couldn't get drafted because you had to be 21 before June, and I was 21 in August. So I didn't get drafted in 75, and I had to, I got drafted in 76 as a senior. So as a senior, you don't have near the leverage or bargaining power you do as a junior. So that's why I fell in the 15th round. But, uh, you know, and that was basically they didn't offer much money, and they just said, hey, do you want to go to work or do you want to go play? So I said, I'm ready to go play. So that's how that happened, and I became a Royal. Huh. What did a, uh, a 21-year-old Ken Phelps know about the Royals? Do you know much about him at that point at all? Well, I, I just uh, remember being at the complex down there in Sarasota, Florida. It was a great facility, and, uh, you know, Ewing Kaufman, uh, and, you know, they had the uh, the academy down there in Kansas City. And it just got, I think it just ended uh, recently, but they still had the complex. It was a great Four field, five field complex with a lake in the middle for all kinds of you know great accommodations. It was really a cool place, I thought, and uh, you know it was a good place to start out. Um, you know, I played rookie ball for a month, and I was you know it was easy for me. I should have been at a higher level, but they they chose to let me start there, and I did real well in rookie ball in Sarasota. And then uh, they called me up to Waterloo, Iowa, in the Midwest League. That's where I. I started meeting guys, and, uh, you know, Clint Hurdle was my roommate for a while, and, and Dan Quisenberry and I were great friends, and we went all through the minor leagues together for the most part. And, uh, you know, then, uh, you know, that season ended, and um, I got to meet more and more guys as I became more a, a bigger part of the organization. I didn't really know the, many of the major leaguers. Obviously, I knew who George Brett was. I didn't, we didn't get a chance like you do today uh, to hang out with any of those guys when you get to spring training because back in those days, the Royals had spring training in Fort Myers, the major league club, which uh, 50 miles south or wherever of uh, Sarasota. So we never saw them. And um, we, uh, we, all us guys in minor league camp never got a chance to really hang out with the big leaguers until we got close to making the big league club. Okay. Now, going back to Waterloo then, because I've always been kind of intrigued by that. Obviously, it's no longer even, I don't think it's even an affiliate period for anybody anymore. But, you know, what was, I know the stadium's still there, by the way. But what was, uh, you know, what was that like playing there? What were the crowds like? What do you remember about Waterloo the most? Well, I remember it was John Deere. It was the city was, you know, John Deere tractors. And, uh, you know, they, uh, they, they supported the team well. Uh, in fact, we won the Midwest League that first year. We we were the champions. And um, when I got there, there was a little over a month left in the season. And uh, so I got there on the coattails of that club that had been playing pretty well all year. Um, and it was fun. It was just a great group of guys. And, you know, one thing, the Royals, uh, they really did a great job uh, back in those days, especially I'm sure they still do now, of uh, just, uh, you know, that togetherness and uh, – you know, the minor leagues, that's what it's all about anyway, really, is growing together as a group of guys and kind of hoping that maybe, um, you know, you go through the minor leagues together and play in the big leagues together, much like uh, the, this Royal uh, Club that won the World Series this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned some of the, the guys like Quiz and Craig Eaton and Rich Gale, Herman Baraka, Danny Garcia, Luis Silverio, Clint Hurdle. Um, I wanted to ask you about two of those guys. You know, talk a little bit about Quiz and what you remember about a young Dan Quisenberry. Well, Quiz was just uh, a wonderful guy. You know, he was really smart, and uh, you know, he was uh, he, he was like a modern day beatnik back in the day, in my opinion. I mean, he could he did he loved poetry, he loved to write, he loved to read. Uh, Quiz was the kind of guy. He had a real 
you know, dry sense of humor, but it was funny. You had to really be a little bit cerebral to pick up on a lot of his jokes. But, uh, you know, he was just really a great guy. He's the kind of guy I never forgot. On the last day of a road trip, he always had a few bucks in his pocket, as I'd never have any. And uh, I'd always borrow a $5 bill from Quiz, and he was great to accommodate me. And, uh, you know, I'd buy a meal and get some beverages and, uh, and, and hop on the bus and, you know, pay Quiz back when we got back to town. But he... Uh, he was really just a, a great teammate, and um, I really miss him dearly. Uh, he was, he, you know, they say the good die young, and it was really unfortunate that he passed at a young age. But he was really, he was really a great guy, a great teammate. And, uh, he tells a funny story. You know, he was, he played uh, college baseball for uh, Ben Hines at Laverne College. In, uh, in L.A., and uh, Ben Hines went on to be one of my coaches in the big leagues. and He's a great baseball man. And uh, Anyway, uh, Quiz uh, pitched for him, pitched pretty well, and uh, he ended up um, get signed, getting signed by Rosie Gilhausen. You know, Rosie was a, a scout way back in the day with the Royals, and he was, you know, very, uh, you know, very well accomplished. A lot of people knew his name. And he was essentially the same guy that drafted me. But Quiz had to go knock on his apartment or condo door back in the day to get himself signed because he wasn't drafted. <laughs> and the rest is history. Um, that was a pretty solid story. And uh, uh, Quiz uh, obviously proved he could pitch in the major leagues and get hitters out with not exceptional stuff by today's standards. You know, just a submarine you know, soft toss and right-hander that, uh, you know, could really move the ball around and rely on the great defense that the Royals had behind him. He got a lot of ground balls. and Most of those ground balls were gobbled up by Frank White, George Brett, and UL Washington. Those guys covered a lot of ground, and they were great players. For sure. And then one other guy I wanted to ask you about from that team, probably a guy you've never been asked about before. It's kind of random, but he's always kind of intrigued me. Do you remember anything about Herman Baraka? Herman, German Barranca. We played together through the minor leagues. He was a, he was from Mexico. Uh, I remember he was a, you know a left-handed hitter that had a little little juice and uh, you know not a lot of home run power, but he was a pretty solid prospect. They loved him as a middle infielder, and um, yeah, I remember him. And uh, you know, just uh, he was pretty fast. You know, he was the kind of guy that graded out pretty well when you're looking at Kansas City Stadium at the AstroTurf and a big field and um you know they like guys that could run and put in play and he was that kind of a hitter um uh, didn't really pan out much in the big leagues i don't know if he got up there for a very long period of time but i do remember uh german baronka yes and uh you mentioned a couple other guys rich gale danny garcia mm-hmm. you know i jumped ahead of danny garcia he was in, in front of me in at first base and then when i signed and he had a tough time in Double A. I moved up to Double A, and he moved down to A ball. And you know, he ended up um, playing a little more in the outfield. I think we played together again a little bit in Triple A, but uh, lost touch with him. Yeah, he was. Uh, I guess he was a, a bat boy for the championship Mets team back in the day, and he's like a stockbroker after baseball. So kind of a cool story with him. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So 1977 was the next year. You're both Daytona Beach and Jacksonville, then 78, full season at Jayville. You had 16 home runs. You drove in 61, OPS 832. So I used to live in Jacksonville doing radio for a few years and used to go to Suns games a lot. So, you know, what do you remember most about playing in Jacksonville? I remember it rained a lot and the wind blew in from right field and the grass was very tall. I didn't hit very (laughs) well in Jacksonville. Um, I did uh, hit 13 home runs on the road that year, in my in my last year in Jacksonville, and uh, three only three at home. So I looked forward to playing on the road. And you know, for me, a Double A is the hardest league. It's the toughest minor league, really. You know, if you could prove yourself in Double A and survive Double A, Triple A was easier, and it was. And so I was able to uh, play for Gordy McKenzie, who. Uh, is no longer with us. He was a wonderful man, and uh, I really miss him. He saw something in me, liked me, and uh, you know you had to have somebody like that in your corner to survive in the minor leagues. And I didn't do so well when I first got there. I had a pretty good combined year in '77 with the 
I was tearing up Daytona Beach in the Florida State League, and then I got to Jacksonville and I hit under 200. But I, I hit some home runs and drove in some runs. So overall, the year wasn't too bad. Uh, but uh, you know, Gordy McKenzie stuck his neck out for me and gave me another shot in '78, and I was able to prove myself in '78. And uh, you know, that's what the minor leagues is all about. You know, somebody's got to like you, and somebody's got to give you an opportunity and stay with you. And uh, Gordy was my guy, got me uh, through double A. That was uh, the crossroads in my career, and uh, I was able to get to Omaha in 79, and he was uh, he was the manager in 79 in Omaha, and uh, I uh, was able to play for him. You know, he uh, we had a guy by the name of Randy Bass who uh, mm-hmm. was a big-time slugger in the minor leagues, and he was ahead of me, and he was at Omaha in 78. And it looked like he was going to be back in 79, but uh, they traded him to Denver. Um, and he played for the Expos, and so that opened the door for me. So a lot of things fell into place, and I was able to go to Omaha in 79. And, uh, I hit uh, 20 home runs that year, drove in over 70 runs. So that was a pretty good first year in uh, Omaha, big ballpark. You mentioned Randy Bass. I think he's like a state senator now in Oklahoma. Have you heard that? I heard he was a truck driver. I didn't know he was a state senator. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, unless I'm wrong on that, but I think he is. So that's well, kind of... maybe he owns a state of uh, a fleet of trucks. He may, <laughs> I think he might have done pretty well. Yeah, well, so like 79, you mentioned 20 home runs, 885 OPS. Then 1980, you hit the club record, uh, 23 home runs. That was fourth in the league, and you OPS 988. So that got you a call up to KC. Before we talk about KC, though, let's talk about Omaha. So your, your favorite memories of playing there in Omaha, and then who were some of the teammates you were closest with with the Omaha Royals? Well, I can, you know, I had a lot of fun in Omaha. You know, Clint Hurdle came through there for a while. We were hanging out together and uh, guys like Joe Zeb was there for a little bit, and uh, you know uh, Jim Nettles was there. Craig Nettles' brother, he had a good year, and we used to hang out together. George Enright was on the club as a catcher. Jimmy Gaudet was there. Um, you know, the Craig Eaton was there. We were friends. Um, uh, let's see who was in the outfield. Tim Ireland, Loco Ireland. He's a legend. He's a guy you need to track down and come talk about baseball with him. He's been everywhere, done everything. It's an amazing story. <laughs> Infielder, right? I mean, yeah, he's played with everybody. He's signed out of a tryout camp, uh, lied about what position he could play. Uh, <laughs> they just, he's, he's, a, he's got a great story. Somebody should write a book about him. Huh. Phenomenal. I'll look him up. It would be a great uh, yeah, you got to find him. If you find him, let, text me his number. He always calls me, never leaves a number, and I've got you know I don't I can't I can't track him down on my phone for some reason. <laughs> so I, he always just leaves a message, and I and then I never hear from him for like a year. So he disappears. <laughs> but anyway, he's done some interesting things. But he was one of my favorite teammates because he used to eat garlic cloves on the bench and just clear everybody out. <laughs> he's the only guy and the only guy I ever played with in the minor leagues that could go ahead and he always got an, uh, a single room because nobody could room with him. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it was by design or not, but he had, he was like a big league player in the minor leagues having a single room. But, uh, you know, Omaha was great. I met my wife's from Omaha. Oh, okay. Uh, we met at a, we, we met in college, but, uh, you know, she went to Arizona state. So did I, and we met there and then we've been married almost 40 years now. So, um, she, uh, I tricked her years ago, and she's still with me. So, That's great. Uh, but we got to spend a couple of summers in Omaha together and uh, lived there, and she saw her family, and her father passed away in 79. That was my first year in Omaha. So she was able to spend some quality time with him before he passed. But, uh, you know, he died too young. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, Omaha was just uh, it was a great place to play. It was a definitely a... A tough hitter's ballpark, but a good ballpark, a fair ballpark. And uh, uh, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed Rosenblatt Stadium. And I tell you, I miss it. I wish it was still around today. Yeah. You and me both. I grew up going to games. I grew up in Lincoln, right down the street. So nice and mm-hmm. close. Um, so September of 1980, you get in three games right at the end of that year. But before we talk about that, so how did you get the news you were going to the big leagues? Any memorable story of where you were, who told you, any of that stuff? 
Well, in 79, I didn't get a chance to go to the big leagues. Uh, you know, I thought maybe I was deserving then, but it uh, didn't happen. 1980, obviously, the Royals went to the World Series that year, so I got a September call-up after the year I had in uh, in AAA. And, uh, you know, my manager uh, was Joe Sparks back then uh, in 80 because Gordy had been called up to He was a big league coach in 80. So, um, you know, he just called me in at the end of the year and uh, no uh, real uh, – uh, surprise at all. He said, hey, you're going to the big leagues. And uh, after the playoffs were over, uh, I went to the big leagues in uh, 79, 80. And uh, Dick Balderson was, uh, you know, farm director back then. And uh, uh, Dick was also my general manager for a little while in Seattle. And uh, Dick, uh, Dick gave me the news. So that was after the last game in Omaha. So uh, in the playoffs, and so I was happy to get up there on September 1, and when I got there, uh, George was hitting 400 on September 1. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, what what a year that was for him. And then, so your first big league at bat is September 20th. It's against Oakland and Matt Keogh, and then uh, obviously you guys go to the World Series that year, like you mentioned, so you weren't in the playoff roster, obviously, but were you? did you stay around KC during the playoffs, and what do you remember about that 1980 World Series? Um should have probably won the ball game. Uh, you know, I remember Pete Lecoq was Pete Lecoq was usually in there in the late innings for defense, and uh, Jim Fry decided to stay with Willie Mays Aikens at first base. And I remember Dale Unser beat him with a double down the right field line in Game uh, Five, and the Royals hang on and win that one. It would have been, uh, uh, you know, they'd have won it, but uh, didn't happen, and they. Uh, Changed the whole momentum, and I remember that about the World Series. And I, uh, you know, remember Tug McGraw striking out Willie Wilson to end it, and uh, uh, that was uh, that was interesting. Uh, just uh, as Willie had had such a great year that year, but uh, I remember him. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, the video you see him pounding his chest, Tug McGraw. I remember that about the series, and uh, I remember. Uh, I remember when we got to spring training and uh, the next day, the next year, and uh, uh, first day out there stretching in Fort Myers, Hal McCray stirred it up. He was great. Hal McCray said, and the World Series ended just like it began. Willie Wilson batting and Willie Wilson striking out. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody rolled on the carpet that day. I remember that. That was hilarious. But uh, uh, they... uh, they took it all well. That's one beautiful. That's one great thing about being on a baseball club. You know, there's no rules. You do whatever, have fun. But uh, yeah, you know, the uh, I didn't get to stick around. It was uh, back in the day that uh, after the after the season was over, they just basically had the call ups leave town. See you later. They didn't keep me around. I would love to have been a part of that, but uh, I went back to Arizona and watched it on TV like everybody else. Huh. That's interesting. And then, so May 4th of 81, you mentioned 81, so going to that year, you get your first big league hit uh, against the Red Sox. Now, I've got the answer in front of me. I'm sure you remember it. But triple, extra innings, scoring the tying run. Can you name the pitcher? Yeah. That was Bob Stanley, Steamer Stanley. Yep. He and I got along pretty well. Yeah, and then you score that tying run. It goes to extra. So that had to have been, you know, a pretty special day for you to get that out of the way, right? Oh yeah, I was uh, you know it was I was uh, pretty uh, pretty stressed mainly because I was not a you know I was a pinch hitter and that was uh, hard for any rookie to have to figure out how to do but uh, it's easy to uh, you know in the American League especially with a DH if you're not getting opportunities to play you're going to lose your swing in a hurry and that was what happened when I was uh, a, a Royal in the early days you know you look at those numbers and you go wow. Didn't do too well. Well, I didn't have really much of a chance. So uh, I did get that triple, and uh, uh, that was pretty much uh, the extent of my uh, my big hit for the Royals. But uh, it's okay. It worked out. I moved on, and, uh, you know, uh, they decided to stay with Willie Mays Aikens. He was the first baseman. So I uh, I just found a home somewhere else. What else do you remember about that 81 season? Anything else stick out? You know, that first kind of full season in the big leagues, you were up there for the majority of the year. Anything stick out? Oh, yeah. It was the year they had a strike, six-week-long strike from June to the middle of August. Or June, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, uh, it was a difficult time because I was a rookie and I was on the club. I made the club out of spring training. 
June rolls around and we got a strike and a lockout and uh, uh, I, I sat through it for six weeks. You know, I had options left. They could have sent me to Omaha, but they chose not to, thinking maybe the strike might end soon. So I remember uh, six weeks of summer vacation. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. You know, we did a lot of fun things. You know, we spent a lot of time down at the plaza. And we do it. I lived out at uh, in, Lake, uh, in Lee, uh, Lee Summit on Lakewood, the lake out there. It was, we did a lot of fishing and boating and just having a wonderful time during that six-week period. But I, uh, being a rookie, I didn't have a lot of money saved up, so the money was going pretty fast. And then the strike ended, and uh, they sent me down to Omaha. So, you know, I was thinking that was kind of weak. They should have sent me <laughs> down before. But uh, I ended up going down to Omaha, and I got my stroke back, and I got called back up in September. So it all worked out, but, uh, you know, it was a... Uh, it was an interesting season. That was the year of the half. They had two, you know, winners of, uh, you know, before the strike and after the strike. And the Royals beat, uh, won the second half, and they ended up playing the A's um, in '81. And Billy Ball was alive and well. And uh, the A's beat us in the uh, the playoffs in '81 to move on. So it was kind of a weird season altogether. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, I remember it, and it was uh, fun to be a part of it. That's for sure. We had a, we had a great time though when, during the strike. We had a lot of guys stayed in town. We went out and did a lot of fun stuff. What was it like playing with a guy like George Brett and just seeing how he would come out and just roll out of bed and hit? You know, what was it like being around him? George was the greatest player I've ever been around. He was the greatest teammate. He was. Uh, I mean, I I just just amazed at how good he was and uh, how much fun he had and uh, how much fun everybody else had being with him. He was just life of the party, just a wonderful guy, a great teammate. Um, you know, he's a fabulous player. And, you know, he wasn't alone. There were a lot of great players on those Royal teams. And, but George was, uh, you know, he was a leader. And, of course, guys like Hal McCray and, and Frank White, uh, there was a great, group of players there that Willie Wilson um, you know John Wathan uh, the list goes on and on UL Washington you know Amos Otis you know just uh, just really uh, Clinton of course uh, you know I stay in touch with and that was just a great team Dennis Leonard Larry Gura you know Pete LeCock list goes on and on Rich Gale was there and there was just a lot of great people um on that club, and of course George was—he was the guy that everybody wanted to be like and be with, and he was uh, just gosh, it you know. Well, he still lives there. It's great to see, and the people still love him. They've never forgotten. It's one thing. He's—he's uh, he's a guy that uh, just lights up a room. Wonderful guy. Yeah, and you played for both Jim Fry mainly and a little bit uh, briefly for Dick Hauser. You know your your memories of both of those two guys. Well, Jim Fry was, uh, you know, he was an interesting guy. He worked for Earl Weaver for a lot of years, and we used to laugh every time we had a team meeting with Jim Fry. He, you know, he'd count all the cuss words. <laughs> you know, he was good at cussing. And, uh, you know, he, uh, that's about all I remember about Jim Fry. I don't think he cared much for me, but, uh, you know what, the, uh, he was an interesting guy. He was a crusty old soul that, uh, uh, but Dick Hauser was a great guy. I didn't get a chance to really uh, uh, get a chance to really know him. Uh, I wasn't there that long while he was there. But uh, sad story there as well. But you know, nonetheless, those guys were the managers, and uh, um, you know, tough to replace Whitey Herzog. No doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so after 1981, uh, kind of a surprise move, uh, traded to the Expos for Grant Jackson. So, you know, where were you at when you got that news, and were you surprised by that? What were your thoughts on that trade? Well, I had a feeling that my days were numbered in Kansas City and uh, after the 81 season and not really getting a lot of opportunities to play. And they had their team set. Hal McCray was a DH. I wasn't going to chase him out. They were, uh, you know, they liked Willie Mays Aiken. You know, that was really the only shot I had to play first base. So he didn't need two of us. So I was a guy that uh, they shipped out. And, of course, uh, 
you know, I didn't expect going to Montreal, but, um, um, you know, that's where I ended up, and it turned out to be a great move for me. I had the year of my life in 1982, and I had a career year in Wichita and AAA, and uh, that got me another shot in the big leagues. And then Seattle signed you going into 83, then. That's a good thing, obviously. Six years you'd spend with the Mariners. 913 OPS, 105 home runs, 255 RBIs with uh, Seattle. So the first kind of breakout season at the big league level came in 84. You hit 24 home runs, drove in 51. So those early days in Seattle, how much fun were those? Well, you know what? That was a ball club that was not very good. Uh, and that was a good place to be, get your feet wet. You know, the Mariners had a lot of good young talent, but uh, never won. And they still haven't won. You know, they've been close in 01, but uh, they've had some good ball clubs. But, uh, you know, back in those days, there were a lot of guys on those teams that ended up going other places after they got established and had pretty good careers. What happened to me in 1984 was Del Crandall was our manager after I had had a couple of big years in AAA uh, leading up to it, and a little bit of time in the big leagues in '83. I hit uh, I hit seven home runs in '83 in a combined uh, stint there. But in '84, I got the call. Um, in 1984, by Del Crandall told me that uh, you know in the off season, the only time any manager has ever called me in the off season, he told me you're my first baseman. Couldn't believe it. Huh just couldn't believe it going into the 1984 season i'd never been told that before by any anyone i played for and i truly was just really grateful to del crandall for that so i went to camp in 1984 and uh had a good spring the season started and i'm playing first base the third game of the year i'm five for ten with two home runs well on my way and uh, i get it i break my hand i got hit by a pitch by jerry augustine third game of the year and I got a boxer's fracture on my right hand so I can't play anymore I never ever had a busted bone in my life so I had a broken hand in 84 and of course they called up Alvin Davis he was in AAA he was behind me he hadn't even played a game or two I don't think at AAA yet and uh, they called him up the next thing you know he's rookie of the year he gets 294 with 27 home runs and over 100 RBIs so uh, you know I'm sitting there waiting for my hand to get back to normal and i'm i don't have a job when i get back i don't have first base anyway so they asked me if i had learned how to be the dh or go back to the minor leagues and i said well i guess i'll have to figure out how to be a dh so that's where my career turned right there after that injury so i uh i still came back in 84 and hit 24 home runs after missing six weeks so um and then i went on to have some pretty good years there for a few but yeah. I was, you know, getting a late st- getting a late start. I was 28 years old by that time. Yeah, so it's, it's around that time. I wanted to ask you. So 1986, obviously Bill James is a real famous baseball writer, and he wrote an article called Ken Phelps All-Star Team. So to talk about players who unfairly got labeled and never really got a fair chance at playing every day in the big leagues. So he said you were kind of the poster child and, and could have broken into the big leagues, obviously, much earlier. So, I mean, were you aware of that article at the time? And then how much does that mean to you, you know, that he wrote that about you? Well, I, uh, to this day, I'd love to meet the guy and uh, talk with him uh, about that. But I know he was uh, very much uh, appreciative of what I, I did. And, uh, yeah, he gave me some props that nobody else was getting in those days. And I guess you could say I was a trendsetter because now it means a lot, you know, with OPS and yeah. and all these different things, on-base percentage. I was good at that. I was good at uh, driving in runs. And I hit uh, didn't hit high for average, but... I had a good on-base percentage and good run production for the amount of time I played. Um, and I had good home run per at-bat ratios and all those types of things and scored a lot of runs. And, you know, he was he liked that, and uh, he liked that about me, and he uh, wrote me up pretty good, so I appreciate that. But, uh, uh, you know, it, uh, it didn't really necessarily translate to much back then as, as much as it would today. There would have been more teams lined up to have my services, I'm sure. Yeah, those were the early days of Bill James. Well, you're still, I mean, you, like, like you said, you walked a ton. That's one thing when I go back and look at it. You know, classic kind of quote-unquote moneyball Oakland Ace type player from a few years ago. Walk a lot, hit for power. The fastest guy in AL history to 100 home runs too, right? 
Yeah, I think so. I, I, that's a that's a stat that uh, I think I'm right there with. You know, either one or two, and uh, a few of that bats to get there. Um, I know. Um, you know, that was something that somebody pointed out to me as well, and I thought, well, oh, you know, too bad I'm not playing today. I might be able to use that as a negotiation chip. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and then so you know, July 21st of '88, you get traded to the Yankees for Jay Buhner even though the Yanks already had Don Mattingly and Jack Clark. Was that confusing for you at the time, or what were your thoughts on that trade? Well, you know, I really thought that, uh, you know, the Yankees needed pitching, and they traded for another hitter, but I come to find out the Tigers were interested in me, too. And so, the, you know, back then they were both in the same division, and uh, uh, Detroit uh, had some interest, so the Yankees stopped basically me from going there so that uh, they wouldn't have me. And, uh, you know, who knows what would have happened if I'd have played there. But, uh, you know, when I got to New York in 88, uh, um, you know, end of July, mid-July, when I got traded for Buhner, it was, uh, you know, I ended up hitting 10 home runs in that time I was there. I hit more than anybody else in the club for that, that amount of time that I was there in that month, month and a half, two months. So, you know, I did, uh, I did okay, but... Uh, I was having a great year in Seattle. That would have been my biggest year if I would have stayed there all year. But uh, oh well, I, you know, I, I'm glad I got to wear the pinstripes. There's nothing like uh, being a Yankee. And of course, you get to be in Seinfeld too. So the Buner trade and the Frank Costanza says in an episode that he's more upset about that than the supposed death of his own kid. So I mean, was that funny to you at the time? And is it kind of something you're, you can boast about today that you're in Seinfeld? No, oh, yeah, I, uh, I love that. That might have been my biggest claim to fame, you know. And uh, Jay Buner and I did an, uh, an interesting interview last year that the Mariners put out there and tweeted out there. It was I did it last spring with him. Uh, uh, you know, I did a few games in the spring with the Mariners on radio, and uh, Jay Buner happened to be down there in, in spring training. So we we took a photo together and sent it out, put it out there, and Jerry Seinfeld even tweeted about it. And, uh he uh, he thought it was cool and uh, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, those were interesting days. That that episode, the caddy, is is a classic. There was a lot of cool stuff going on in that episode. So yeah, I, uh, anytime they want to send me a royalty check, I'll be glad to take it if there's any <laughs> chance of that happening. So, but uh, nonetheless, it's it's great to be remembered for that uh, that little uh, bit. It was good. That's a great show. Now, something else could happen August 30th of 89. So you're traded from New York to the A's, where you would win a World Series and get in both the ALCS and World Series. You appeared in both of those games. So the trade itself, I mean, were you pretty happy to go to a team you know, in first place in Oakland at that time? Yeah, I really was. Uh, you know, the, uh, the ship was sinking in New York. There's no doubt about that. They didn't seem to express any interest in uh, you know, having me back or you know, picking up my option or anything like that. Uh, or giving me a new contract. So, you know, I just said, well, Oakland A's closer to home, uh, you know, spring training in Arizona, and they're still winning, and they're winning. You know, it was, uh, I was pretty excited to be there, even though I knew I wasn't going to play much. I was just going to pinch hit. You know, there again, you got Mark McGuire, but, you know, Mark McGuire is a right-handed hitter, and there were some right-handed pitchers that, uh, you know, he might sit against, and I'd get some at-bats, but... Uh, that was a great team. I was that was just I was just very fortunate to uh, be a part of that ball club, just like I was the Royals in 1980 when they went to the World Series. But I was fortunate enough in '89 to get a World Series uh, championship ring. That was a good team to be on. You went one for two with a double in those two at bats that year, and of course that was the year of the tragic earthquake uh, before Game Three. So you know, going back to that moment when it happened, what were your initial thoughts? What did you guys think, and what do you remember about that day? Well, I remember we were in the locker room there in San Francisco. The weather was beautiful, it was about 80 degrees, and, and uh, not a cloud in the sky. We are getting ready for introductions, and I was still in the locker room buttoning up my pants. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the clubhouse started shaking. You know, the first thought in some of our minds was, gosh, this place is really, you know, old. They're getting ready for a new stadium, right? And then it just kept going and going, and then uh, uh, the uh, – clubhouse guy said you know by then we knew it was something else he said get outside it's an earthquake so you know right before introductions we all rushed out you know that was in there we we're outside i was outside the clubhouse there for a moment and then the earthquake stopped you know like i said the weather was beautiful we didn't know what kind of damage was sustained around the uh, around town and 
other areas. And uh, we went out on the field, and uh, um, there was a lot of chaos because right about then everybody was worried about their wives and kids coming into the stadium after we found out about the Cypress structure that collapsed in, uh, in Oakland, and that's where we had just driven through. I mean, we were on that road. And our families came a little behind us, so they were able to get across the Bay Bridge just in time. And, um, you know, so they didn't have any, and they made it into the ballpark. So, uh, you know, then we started seeing all the devastation and all the, you know, the sadness and the fires and, you know, all the people that were killed with the freeway collapsing and all the damages. And we realized, wow, this World Series isn't going to happen. Uh, not now, anyway. So uh, you know, we had already won the first two games. So um, you know, then we just all grabbed our clothing. We didn't shower or change clothes or anything. They called it off, and we just had a police escort out of the stadium. And um, you know, we started driving back to Oakland uh, on a bus, and um, you know, it was really you know, it was like a, something out of the Twilight Zone. You know, you see people off the side of the road, just totally distraught. You know, we're driving back. We had to go all the way down to San Jose to get ourselves back around to the peninsula there to get over to Oakland. You know, normally it's a half-hour drive, but we, uh, you know, we had to go like three hours to get back home. And then, uh, you know, we got over to Oakland, and, uh, you know, really uh, things were by then fairly normal on that side of the bay, but San Francisco was a mess. So I'm just glad, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, we were able to, to uh keep the World Series alive and, and get back to baseball. And, uh, um, you know, after all the, the dust kind of settled, so to speak, we were able to play and we ended up winning. So uh, I'm glad I was part of that. Yeah, that was tragedy and it was, you know, but at least you guys, it was neat that you guys got a ring there in the end, but obviously a, a difficult time in, in history for baseball. So your final big league season then is 1990, that following year, and you're between Oakland and Cleveland. So uh, this is kind of cool. Your last home run at the big league level, April 20th, 1990, off Brian Holman of Seattle. You faced him as a pinch hitter. He had a perfect game, two outs in the ninth, and you take him deep, right? Yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was my one of my claims to fame. Unfortunately, I didn't get to play much that year, but uh, uh, that was uh, you know that was the biggest hit I had that year and broke up that perfect game. And uh, um, you know that was uh, my last year, and I was involved in two no hitters that year. Oh, really? And almost that. almost three, and I'd never been uh, never been in a no hitter my whole career until that last season. That was the year Dave Steve got one against. Us in Cleveland and Nolan Ryan no hit the Oakland A's that year, as well. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. That's cool. And then, so one more year, 1991. You're 36 years old, and uh, Phoenix Triple A for San Francisco. You got in just seven games. I mean, did you get injured, or did you just you know did you just walk away and say enough is enough at that point? Well, I think uh, you know that was nobody was real interested in me and. In, uh, in 1991, the, you know, the Giants, I uh, got an opportunity to go and play in Phoenix and just hope that maybe somebody would pick me up. But uh, uh, the Giants weren't that interested in keeping me around. I was hitting over 300, and I knew I would have done real well and maybe been able to get back to the big leagues and help somebody as a pinch hitter or, you know, play. And I was, just, I was willing to go to AAA and just bide some of my time. You know, unfortunately, expansion was a couple years out, and, um, you know, I just missed out on that, or I might have had another chance to keep playing. I still really felt I had some juice left in the tank, but uh, the Giants ended up sending Mike Benjamin down to the minor leagues from the big league club, and they just let me go. So that was it, and I couldn't get another job. There was another, no more jobs out there that uh, you know that early in April. So um, that was the end of my career. That's how it ended. Huh. Now, when you look back at your, you know, playing days, what are you most proud of when you look back at your at your career? Well, you know, there's a lot of things. Uh, obviously, I played for a lot of good organizations, spent some quality time in a lot of different places, different stories to say. You know, the five years I I spent in Kansas City were were great years, and uh, never forget those. And the guys, the friendships you make along the way. The five years I spent in Seattle, and the places I went in between, and you know, just the ability to uh, stay involved in baseball and broadcasting and uh, coaching. I coached three years with the Milwaukee Brewers. And, 
um, and uh, just done a lot of different things, and uh, it's amazing how time flies. And, uh, um, you know, now, uh, you know, my kids are grown, and uh, just uh, all a lot of distant memories now. But uh, you know, really, I really was grateful that I played that long. Fifteen years is a long time to be a professional player, and I outlasted a lot of guys. And of course. Um, yeah, I think a lot of guys did. Uh, I didn't anticipate playing that long, and probably a lot of guys front offices didn't think I would last that long either. But uh, you know, it was uh, just uh, one of those things. I was uh, fortunate enough to be right place, right time, come through, and it was big years when I needed to, and uh, wouldn't trade it for nothing. That's, uh, that was a great life. Now, last three questions for you are, you know, coming back to the Royals organization. So, you know, your favorite, when you think back right now, when I say Kansas City Royals, what are your fondest memories, you know, of, of being in this organization? Well, just the guys, uh, you know, that I, I went through the minor leagues with, you know, guys like Quiz and Clint Hurdle and you know, just to name a couple and, uh, you know, being able to play with George and, and be a teammate of his and uh, Hal McCray and, you know, the guys that I mentioned earlier, Paul Splitorf, what a great man he was, and John Waffen and the rest of them just had a lot of great memories from those days with the Royals. And uh, wouldn't trade them for anything, of course. I wish I could have stayed there longer and, and been a, a bigger contributor. I would love to have had my whole career there, really. I mean, my wife and I were really close to buying a home in Kansas City and um, you know, as it turned out, we made a better decision to stay in Arizona because I ended up playing for so many different clubs. So, um, but uh, we would—who knows what would have happened if we stayed there? But uh, you know, uh, we got a lot of friends there. Jamie Quirk is a dear friend, and I still stay in touch with him. And of course, whenever I get a chance to bump into any of those guys, sometimes I see him in town. Larry Gurr's around occasionally. I bump into him. And, of course, George, you know, when he's in town for spring training, didn't go, you know, see him. And, of course, this year there's going to be a big buzz in Arizona in spring training in 2016 because the Royals won the World Series. So that'll be exciting. There'll be a lot uh, lot more energy in the Cactus League this year, that's for sure. And uh, the Royals, uh, hopefully they can... Uh, Hopefully they can get Alex Gordon and a handful of others under contract. You know, Zobris would be a good sign. Mm -hmm. uh, Gordon, of course, and uh, you know Salvador Perez. It sounds like they're going to be trying to negotiate, renegotiate his contract at some point. Um, but you got to keep those core guys together: Hosmer and Kane and Moose and a few others. I mean, Escobar, obviously, uh, and, you know, the arms. I mean, that's. That's a great, uh, great nucleus. A great, uh, uh, you know, coaching staff. You know, I know Dale Swaim real well, and Doug Henry, of course, he's a Sun Devil, and Don Wakamatsu is another former ASU Sun Devil. Both of those guys, and of course, Ned Yost has done a good job. Island is an old teammate of mine. So, um, you know, there's a lot of guys I pull for. Uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, it's a great. Uh, the organization has come back around and done some great things, and. Uh, they're world champs. Way to go. Yeah, you, you really do know that. You have a lot of connections here. I didn't realize there was that many of them with the coaching staff, too. That's pretty cool. Well, you know, and you've been around the block as many times as I have. <laughs> you know, you've forgotten a lot of names, a lot of things. But living in Arizona, is, you know, and you're still dialed in a little bit with baseball. You know, there's I know you know a lot of baseball people, of course, and I bump into guys all the time that are coaching and participating in the, in the game in uh, different ways. So that's one thing about living in Arizona. You have that opportunity. There's a lot of former and current big leaguers living in the Valley. Do you ever go to Surprise and watch the Royals out there? Well, I, I have. Um, you know, I've, I've gone out there. It's a long drive for me. I'd rather when they come on this side of town. It's over an hour drive for me. Okay. So, I, I, you know, I'm right down the street from where the Giants train and the, um, the Rockies and the Diamondbacks are. 10 minutes away so whenever they're playing over here you know it's a lot easier to go see a game on my side of town so i they have a nice ballpark over there in surprise you know they share it with the rangers that's a it's a nice facility and uh, a nice setup i i coach summer baseball i coach high school kids and we play a lot of tournaments over there at different times but it's a, it's a long haul 
Yeah, it's a, it is a great complex. Well, la- last question for you is, uh, you know, in summary, what would you like to say to all the Royals fans listening right now? Well, uh, you know what? You got a great product, and you're great fans, and uh, you know the ballpark has just really uh, been well kept over the years. And you know, you guys, uh, something about living and 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 uh, in the Midwest. And you know, my wife's a Midwestern uh, gal, and uh, I could only wish that my kids would marry gals from the Midwest. I think <laughs> they, uh, there's no doubt about it. It's a great place to be. Great place. My wife said it's a great place to grow up and live. And, uh, you know, Kansas City has wonderful fans, as do, as do the, the Cardinals, you know. St. Louis is a great baseball city, too, and uh, just right there in the heartland. And, uh, you know, great uh, great organization, and, uh, you know, they're doing a lot of things right. And, uh, you know, wish them all the best. Hope they can continue to keep it going. Well, you know, thank you so much for all your time and, and for all that you gave to the Royals organization. I really enjoyed hearing the old stories and, and reading about you and, and all that good stuff. And hopefully I'll run into you one of these days and, you know, in baseball circles one of these days. And, uh, you know, thanks so much for all you gave to the Royals. Well, I appreciate that. I uh, wish you all the best, too, in uh, what you're doing there. And uh, hopefully uh, great things happen for you as well. So uh, you did a good job with uh, – all the Q&A, you knew my background pretty well. So that's uh, a tribute to you doing your homework. Good for you. Yeah, thank you. And I'll try to uh, to hunt down Tim Ireland and some other one of these guys, Randy Bass and some of these guys. <laughs> find out yeah, what they're doing. You do, I mean, he's, if you do find him, uh, you know, you're know you going to have a great, a, a great story because this guy is phenomenal. And uh, somebody should write a book about it. He needs to get a ghostwriter and write a book <laughs> because it would be a, a bestseller. There you go. No doubt about it. There you go. Well, but, uh, yeah, tell him to call me and leave his number this time because I can't <laughs> ever find him. <laughs> Will do. I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Take care. God bless. Thank you. You too.